Thank you. Well, my name is Chris. For those of us we haven't met or if it's been a long time, I want to welcome you too. I, I hope you've been welcomed two or three or four times. And, and I want you to know that that's sincere. We're really glad to have you with us. We thank you for, for joining us on this holy day. We're, we're glad that you're here. Um, as, as Jennifer mentions, we, uh, we've got a free gift in the back if you're visiting us. We'd love to offer you that. Um, we have free coffee and cookies every Sunday. You're always welcome just to help yourself. If you ever have questions about our church you know, or want to know more about it, let us know. We'd love to talk. If we can ever pray for you, we'll have people um, during the communion part of our service today that would be off to the sides that would love to pray with you after the service. Just let us know how we can help. It's great to, great to have you with us today. Well, I, I want you to help me a little bit here. I, I want you to help me make this guy feel welcome. He's a first-time guest here today. This is Trogdor the Viking. Can everyone say hi to Trogdor? Yeah. He's, now, I, I need to let you know, because we do have the kids with us today. I, I need to let you know, kids, this is a friendly Viking. Right? This is a friendly Viking. Later, you'll have a chance to come up here. Not right now, but later you have a chance to come up. I just want you to know when you come up, this is a friendly, friendly, friendly Viking. He loves little bunnies. He, um, he won a Gimli lookalike contest. For those of you who know Lord of the Ring, he's just a great guy. But we're going to pretend today that he's a selfish Viking. All right? So we have to use our imaginations because he's so friendly. We're going to have to use our imaginations and pretend that he is a selfish Viking. I uh, was watching TV uh, several, probably weeks ago, and... And I saw a TV show about Vikings. And I saw this scene that really convicted me. And so let's pretend that Trogdor is part of that, part of that scene. In this, uh, this TV show that I was watching called Vikings, they, they, in, in one of these scenes, these Vikings, they sailed across this body of water that they had never sailed across before. And they get to this land that they'd never been to before. And they had attacked villages before, and they thought, well, we're going to do what we always do. Let's attack this village. And so they started attacking this village, but it was different than any other village it ever attacked. Um, this was a village that was called a monastery. And the people in it were called monks. And, and the Vikings were very surprised because the Vikings wanted to fight. And no one wanted to fight them. And they thought, this is just strange. Why, why do these people not want to fight? Don't people fight? Why are they praying instead of fighting? And, and they looked all around, and they couldn't find treasures in people's houses and things like that. And they're like, what's going on? Who are these people? And they did finally find, after a lot of searching, they finally found this room. And in this room, there was a gold cross, and there were a couple other things that looked valuable. And they said, well, if this is all they got for treasure, why is nobody guarding it? Why not? So finally, let's just pretend it was Trogdor. Trogdor finds one of these monks, and he grabs this monk, and he's like, what are you doing? Who are you guys? And, and, and the monk was holding on to, of all things, a book. And Trogdor is like, of all the treasure you can guard, this is what you're guarding. You're guarding a book. Needless to say, Trogdor and his friends, they were very confused. And they started asking, what kind of village is this? And what kind of book is that? And so Trogdor, he, he points to this monk and he, and he says, hey, here, open that book up. And he, he just points to a page. And let's just pretend that that page was, was this. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to Matthew 26. Let's just pretend that Trogdor pointed to this page and said, would you translate this for me? And, you know, and the monk had Google Translator and so typed in Viking and, and he, he translated this for him. Um, if you don't have a Bible, I want to let you know too, we always keep a stack of them in the back. On this visit or on another visit, if you ever want to have a Bible, if you don't have one at home, we'd love to give you one free. We always keep a stack in the back. You don't have to tell anybody. Nobody's guarding them. It's not like Viking stealing. Just please take one. We'd love to, to bless you with that. All right, here we go. Matthew 26, starting with verse 36. Then Jesus went with them 
to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there to pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even unto death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Now, at this point in the story, Trogdor interrupts. And he's like, hey, I got the spoiler on this one. I got the spoiler. If this Jesus, if he is like a righteous religious person, and he's calling out to his God, well, here's what our gods do. If we're doing the right things in their eyes, and we pray to them, then what they're going to do is they're going to bless us and help us be victorious. So here's what's going to happen. If this is a righteous man, he'll call out to his gods. His God will help him smite these guys. He's going to help him smite the enemies. He's going to take all their wealth and, and give it to you. I know what's going to happen. And the monk's like, well, Mr. Trogdor, sir, um, that, that's not what happens. Um, actually, Jesus goes back. He prays the same thing a second time. He prays it a third time. And then he comes back. His disciples are all asleep. And then he says, look, the one who's going to betray me, who's one of my own, is coming. Let's pick up with the story. Jump ahead to verse 47. While Jesus was still speaking, saying these things, Judas, the one who was going to betray him, came. He was one of the twelve, one of Jesus' own closest disciples. And with him was this great crowd, and now Trogdor gets this part. They had swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer, Judas, had given them a sign saying, the one I kiss is the man, sees him. And he comes up to Jesus and at once said, what's the next word? Greetings. Remember that. Judas says, greetings. Rabbi, and he kissed him. Jesus said, friend, do what you came to do. And then they came up, they laid hands on Jesus, and they seized him. And Trogdor was like, what? This isn't isn't how religion is supposed to go. And Trogdor said, okay, well, tell me what happens after that. And the monk replied, they took Jesus into custody. They accused him falsely. They tried him unjustly. And he was crucified on a Roman cross. Well, in the actual TV show, um, one of the Vikings, uh, must have been a friend of Trogdor's, points to the wall, and and that Viking goes, I know what's going on here. I know what's going on. Look on the wall. And on the wall, they had something like this. Um, It's called a crucifix. And maybe you've seen these before. It's a cross, and it has Jesus on it. And so the other Viking points to this, and he goes, well, there's there's the deal. They, They have a dead God. No wonder their God can't help them. Their God is dead. Well, the Bible says, the Bible says that we should always have a, um, an answer for the hope that is within us. We should always have an answer. And, and the Vikings, they were confused. They didn't understand these Christians. The Vikings were like most of the ancient world when it came to religion. They wanted a God who would bless their friends and punish their enemies. They wanted a God who would help them get what they wanted, even if it meant we're going to get that from somebody else. And again, the Bible says we should be prepared when when we come across folks who don't understand. What is is the hope that we have? And this is where the conviction set in. When I'm watching this show, I'm like, what would I say? If this, this guy comes in, he's got a sword, he's got an axe. He comes in, he's going to take everything I've got. What do I have? What can I possibly have to say to him? Why should someone place their hope in someone who died on a cross and then instructs us to take up crosses of our own? Why should anyone place their hope in a God who didn't send 10,000 angels to protect Jesus from harm? Why would anyone willingly follow a Savior who doesn't promise any earthly rewards and often tells his followers, give up what treasure you do have? 
Well, kids, what we're going to do now is we're going to invite you to come forward if you'd like. Why don't you come on up? And Laura is going to share about this Jesus story. And what she's going to do is she's going to share how the story doesn't end at the cross. And then we're going to talk with all of us about the implications of that. So kids, come on up. Test, test, test. There it is. Come on up. <clears throat> Wherever you can find space. There's some space up here. If you want to kind of be back that direction, that's okay. If you want to scooch up this way. Well, happy Easter. You all look so springy and bright today. Glad you're here. Come on, sit down, Mason. Perfect. Hi, buddy. Good to see you. Hi. How are you, Kata? Good. All right. All right. Can I, I can see everybody. Okay, that's good. Well, good morning, boys and girls. Happy Easter, first of all. Are you all there? You're quiet. Okay, just wanted to make sure I see you. I just didn't hear you. And usually it's the other way around. <laughs> right? Sometimes? Okay. Well, I have, I have a story for you today. And you know what? I told the kids at the first service, I'm going to tell you two. I have two quick stories. The first one is a silly story. The second one is a real story. Okay? So the first one, you see this Trogdor guy here? I was at work at the office and where I, where I think of um, what we're going to do on Sunday mornings. And I'm sitting there at the computer, and I'm typing in what we're going to do for lesson plans. And all of a sudden I hear, hey, Laura, what do you think we should do about or something like that behind me? And I turn, and guess what I saw? Trogdor, except for he was moving. Because Pastor Chris was wearing the costume, and he decided to scare me with it. So you're lucky that today he decided just to put it on a mannequin, and he reminded us he's not a scary big guy. Right? <laughs> so that's just, the, that's just the silly story. But the real story that I have for you today is I wanted to remind you quickly. Last week, you all came in here and you did something really special. Who can quick tell me what happened last week? I got you last time. Um, it was Palm Sunday. Absolutely. It was Palm Sunday. You came in here carrying palm branches. Some of you stayed in the aisles and waved palm branches. Some of you came up front and helped lead a worship song. It was Palm Sunday. And that was the beginning of this whole week that in the church we call Holy Week. Can you say that? <clears throat> Perfect. So the first, the first little object I'm going to show you comes from a set of eggs called, called resurrection eggs. Give me a thumbs up if you've seen something like that before. If you've seen resurrection eggs before, yeah, some of you have. If you haven't, no problem. You're going to learn about them now. What's that, Ada? Oh, super. Okay. Yes, it's very fun when the eggs have something in it. I agree. Well, these eggs, this first one has a what? Who can see this? Donkey. What is it? Donkey. Thank you. It is a donkey, and this is to help us remember that Jesus rode into where? Where did he ride? Jerusalem. Way to go. He rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. Now, this next one, you may or may not know. Who can tell me what this reminds you of? What is this? Oh, I like it. I, what is this? This is a cup. This is the cup. Yeah, and, as, and where Jesus said that this, the drink, the wine inside, represented it was his blood given to us. So this on the Last Supper, the Last Supper that Jesus ate with his disciples, his friends, they shared the Last Supper together. And then now I have something kind of jingling in my hand. Kata, tell me about these. Is it a bell? It's not a bell. That's a good guess. Take a closer look. What are these about, Noah? Fake coins. They are fake coins. <laughs> you guys are so smart. 
<laughs> oh, these Scott kids are going to give me a run for my money up here, but that's okay. I'm bigger than you, and I've been um, in charge longer than you have. <laughs> okay, so these are fake coins. They stand for the 30 coins of silver that Judas asked for. Is 30, right? Good job. It, um, that he asked for in exchange for his friend. Was that a very wise or nice thing to do? No, he betrayed Jesus for just 30 pieces of silver. And that's what these represent. Thanks, Emma. Got my helper here. Now this, this is a symbol. This is, yep, this is a hand. And what part of the story? Now in Holy Week, Jesus was being betrayed by Judas, and then he went someplace special. What was he doing there? Uh, he went to a garden and prayed. That's right, Josh. Thank you. He went to the garden and he prayed. And you remember that Pastor Chris was just saying, he prayed, God, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me, because he knew it was a really big deal. And it was even kind of scary. And he thought, you know what, God? If you've got another plan, let's do that. But then he said, but not your will, not my will, but yours, but done, be done. And that's what Jesus was praying in the garden. Now this is a kind of a piece of leather. Can anyone guess it? If you know the story of this, of when Jesus was crucified, what this might have, what this might represent, Kira. They were whapping him with it. They did. They used a whip. They used a whip to hurt Jesus very badly before they hung him on the cross. What else have we got here? Well, the other one of the other things they did when they were preparing Jesus to be on the cross is they did something with something that looked kind of like this. Gwen. They put a crown of thorns on him. They did. They put a crown of thorns on him. And you know what? They were making fun of him. They were saying, you say that you're the king of the Jews? Huh. And they are making fun of him. And they put the, a crown of thorns on his head. And are thorns soft, cozy little things? No. What are they? They're pokey. They're prickly. That's right. And they put it on Jesus' head. And they pushed it down in their heart so that it hurt. They were really being brutal to Jesus, weren't they? And the story is getting a little bit more sad and a little bit scarier as we listen to it, isn't it? Because worse and worse things keep happening to Jesus. And did Jesus do anything wrong? No, he didn't. Now, who can tell me what this is? Aaliyah? A cross. It's a cross, right? And Jesus was hung on the cross. And who can tell me what they used to hang Jesus on the cross? Kada? A rope. Nope. That's a good guess, not leather. Nails. Nails. They pounded nails into his wrist and down by his ankles, and they nailed Jesus to a cross. And now this, some people know about this and some people don't as much. This is a this is a die. Oh, Josh, can you tell me about this? They rolled the die to see who would um, get Jesus' clothes. We've got some scholars here among us. <laughs> Let the young ones preach it. That's right. That's right. Thank you. And then once, once Jesus was hanging on the cross and they cast lots for his clothes, they did one final thing to make sure that Jesus was actually dead. And this is a symbol for that. Does anyone know what they did? No, not quite. Close. They poked him in the side with a spear just to make sure that he was dead. 
And then there were some people who loved Jesus. And after he was down off the cross, they took some linen and some garments and they wrapped Jesus in those because they wanted to give him a proper burial. And so this piece of cloth represents what Jesus' friends did to him after he came down off the cross and he was still dead and they were going to bury him in the tomb. And so this is what his friends put around him, or it represents what his friends put around him. And now I've got this rock. Now it's been a, it had been a long week, and all these things happened now after Jesus died on the cross. They wrapped him in the garments, and they put him where? Where did they put him? They put him in a tomb, a rock tomb, right? But you know what? That All of that just sounds really sad. And we say Happy Easter, don't we? What about a rock would remind you that we get to say Happy Easter instead of just being sad because Jesus was in the tomb? Kira? That's right. The rock was rolled away from the tomb, wasn't it? The rock was rolled away, and then guess what was left? I'm going to open the the last egg. It's white, and I'm going to show you what was left in that tomb. Are you watching? What? Why is it empty? Why is it empty? Say it together. One, two, three. The tomb was empty because it's empty because he is alive. That's right. Those are some of the answers I heard because Jesus rose from the grave, didn't he? So all of that stuff happened from we started at Palm Sunday and we went all the way to Good Friday where Jesus was hung on the cross. And now three days after he died, the tomb is empty and he rose again just like he promised. Boys and girls, is that good news? It is. Is that why we can say Happy Easter? Yes, absolutely. And you know what? We're going to give you, a lot of times when you come up here, there's different, um, there's different things that you go back with, sometimes candy, sometimes little toys, something like that. Well, today is something different. It's a very special gift, and it's for you, and it's also for you to give away. You are going to get a plain white egg, and the plain white egg is for you to remember that when you tell others, Mason, you are doing such a good job up here. When you tell others about Jesus, you can open your egg, your empty egg, and you can tell them about the empty tomb. You could say something like this, he is risen. You say it. That's right. You might want to say it like you're even excited about it. Try again. That's right. He is risen indeed. That's what a lot of grown-ups will say to you if you say he is risen. So you can have your egg. Mr. Tim is going to have the bucket. You can take your resurrection egg and to share the story of Jesus and, his, and the day that he rose again and the tomb was empty with your empty white egg. Thanks, you guys, for coming up. Happy Easter. Well, if we ever get invaded by Vikings, we are in good shape, aren't we? These kids can tell the Vikings all about it. Well, let's uh, spend just a little bit of time here together unpacking some of this. I'd encourage you, if you haven't already, take out your yellow note page. And I'd really encourage you to write this down. Even though it sounds basic, this is fundamental stuff here. Jesus' life didn't end on a cross, did it? Jesus' life did not end on a cross. As Christians, we commemorate Good Friday, but we celebrate Easter. Did you catch that? We commemorate as Christians Good Friday. We celebrate Easter. 
One of the things that's true about the major religions, and there's really just three, and one of them is more of a category. There's only three religions in the entire world that have roughly a billion people or more that follow that religion. Christianity is one of them. Islam is one of them. And then there's the category of Eastern religions. Of those three major religions, only one has anything like an empty tomb. Christianity. The others don't have anything like an empty tomb. And as you read the accounts of the first century witnesses, the people that were there, the people who knew the people that were there, when you read the the first century accounts, you can see that this empty tomb, this was everything. This empty tomb, this was huge. It dominated their preaching. It formed the basis of their faith. Because there was nothing like it. For them, the empty tomb, it was the vindication that Jesus of Nazareth was who he said he was. They were able to say, yep, he said he's the son of God. He's the son of God. Because I've never seen anyone predict their own death and then rise again. We had never seen anything like it. The bodily resurrection of Christ proved that God's plans, his purposes will ultimately prevail. Let's quickly, with the time we have left, let's look at one of these resurrection accounts. We're going to look at the one that just continues from where we were reading. We were reading in Matthew 26 earlier. Let's just turn a couple chapters later to Matthew 28. Matthew was a guy who knew Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He, he, he interacted with Jesus. And here's his, um, his version of the account. He says this, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, they went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. I love that. Rolls a stone, angels all like this. Sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled, they became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Don't be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus. He was crucified, but he's not here. He's risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly. Tell his disciples, he's risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you to Galilee. And there you will see him. See, I've told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And they ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them. And Jesus said what? Greetings. He says greetings. And they came, they took hold of his feet, they worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there they're going to see me. On Sunday morning, they didn't find a crucified body that they expected to find. Instead, they were witnesses to the central event in all of history. And I encourage you to write this down as well. Jesus rose from the dead just as he said he would. Jesus rose from the dead just as he said he would. And here you've got angels descending in heavenly splendor. You have battle-hardened soldiers paralyzed with fear. You have an empty tomb. You have one who was once dead, now alive. Sin and death had been defeated in a way that was, in a way had been made for humans to be reconciled with God. And at that moment, when all this happened, what profound statement, what triumphal proclamation, what great declaration came forth from Jesus' mouth on this day of days. He said, greetings. Greetings. There there was a a man who translated this. He did the best he could to try to translate this as close as we can into our language. And here's how he translated it. And look, after all this, Jesus met them and said, hi. (laughs) I never noticed that before. It's as if, he's like, I told you this was going to happen. I said this was going to happen. Don't be surprised. 
I told you multiple times. Hi, now let's go. Let's complete this mission. Let's carry on what we had said we were going to do. In preparation for this week, I read the account of a pastor. He was using this passage, and he was trying to, trying to uh, make a similar point here. And, and he was doing the kids' sermon. I'm learning, try, never do the kids' sermon unless you have to, you know, if you're me. And because some of you have seen what happens when I attempt that. So anyway, um, leave it to the pros, right? The, um, so, so he asked the kids, the pastor asked the kids, what were Jesus' first words to his followers after he came forth from the grave? And one of the girls raised her hand. And he calls on her and she goes, I know what he said. What did he say? Ta-da! <laughs> You'd expect more of a ta-da. Like, I'm here. Let's go. You know, and let's, whatever. But, but that's not what happens. He says, greetings. He says, greetings. Well, the Bible is so profound in its simplicity. The Bible is so profound in its simplicity. I want to I pair up Greetings and greetings. Here's the greetings that we came across earlier in Matthew 26. I'm going to pair that with the greetings we see in Matthew 28. The first greetings comes from Judas. And he's got his army, his soldiers. He's got all these people that have been authorized to come with him. He's got this signal that is going to set into play all of those horrific things that we saw talked about earlier. Saw talked about earlier. You know what I mean. This is why I don't do the kids' message. And this is why I also write everything out. But why do I not stay with it? I don't know. So, so Judas, he says greetings. And that sets in play all of those things. And then after all those things happen, and Jesus comes forth, what does Jesus say? He says greetings. In my translation of the Bible, I thought, well, maybe this is just coincidence. I did a word search in English. I said, in the book of Matthew, is the word greetings used anywhere else? It's not. So I said, well, maybe it's a Greek thing. Maybe it's just they translated a different word and we don't want to make too much out of this. So I did a cross-reference with the Greek word. The same word was used by Judas that Jesus also used. Like bookends to his suffering and then to his victory, the word that we translate as greetings, it contrasts two kingdoms. In the kingdom of this world, we think we can obtain what we want through human ingenuity and human strength and human cunning and human selfishness. In Judas's case and in the chief priest's case and in all the powers that be in their case, evil intent became evil schemes. Money exchanged hands. Men came with swords and clubs. And the word greetings set into play actions that were intended to end a movement. Three days later, Three days later, the same word greetings ushered in a whole new era. One in which our willingness to place our trust in a very different kingdom accesses a source of power that no human plotting or schemes can overcome. Now, for the record, when Jesus says greetings, it doesn't mean because, hey, all's good all the time, every moment. In fact, I was it. Andrew, was it you that I had the devotion with on Monday night? Or was it Emma? Was it Emma? Okay. I was doing my devotions with, with Emma last on uh, Monday night. And I had to tell her as I'm reading this kid's devotion, I don't agree with this. Because in the kid's devotion, they said, you know, if you just trust God, if you just follow Jesus, everything will always be good all the time. God won't let anything bad happen to you. And I said, Jesus never promised that. Jesus didn't set that example. In fact, here's what Jesus says. Look what he says. He says, in this world, you'll have what? Trouble. How many of you, with a show of hands, can testify, in this world, you will have trouble? All right. I can testify to that. But what does Jesus say about the trouble? He says, take heart, because I have what? Overcome the world. How many can testify to that? 
I have overcome the world. You're going to have trouble, but I've overcome the world. I can only imagine the conversations that weren't in the Bible. So I'm totally imagining right now. And I'm probably projecting a little of myself in there. But I can picture Jesus. I can picture him huddling up those boys and saying, all right, guys, here's how it is. The betrayal of one of our own, the rejection of the religious establishment, the might of the most powerful nation the world has ever seen, even the demonic enemies of the underworld, their allied offensive to shut us down didn't work. Are you about to face challenges? Yes. Even as we speak, the chief priests are attempting a cover-up. And the days are coming when you're going to be put on trial. And some of you, you're going to be asked to lay down your life for this cause. But do you see? Herod failed. The chief priests failed. Rome failed. The devil failed. Judas failed. I'm bringing you greetings from another kingdom. I'm bringing you Greetings from another kingdom, and I'm preparing a home for you there. Woot, woot. (laughs) All four, (laughs) all four of the biblical narratives of Jesus' life, all four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they paint a very unflattering portrait of what happened right after Jesus was killed. Right after Jesus was killed, his disciples were disheartened. They were dismayed. They were disappointed. They were disillusioned. They were discouraged, as you would expect if you saw what they saw. But then came Easter Sunday. Then came Pentecost. The empty tomb gave them hope. The Spirit gave them insight and power. And the combination of these two events led to a, is that all you got moment for 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 the followers of Jesus? World, is that all you got? That's the best you can do. You will lie everybody together. That's all you got. If you missed our Lent series, I want to encourage you to go back and listen online for the last seven weeks. Yeah, I know Trogdor's not scary, but this guy is. He gets going sometimes. If you missed our Lent series, I want to encourage you to go back and listen online. For the last seven weeks, we've been exploring some of the ways that the Jesus movement, it changed history. I almost guarantee if you spend any time in any school system, they've told you about all the things that people who said they're followers of Jesus did that were not like Jesus. Study sometimes what the people who were following Jesus did. They changed the world. True followers of Jesus changed the world. No movement has done more to advance the notion that all people have value and worth like the Jesus movement. No movement in history has done more to open doors for women that men had kept shut. No movement has done more to care for and protect kids, including kids that weren't their own. No movement has done more to unite us across party and nationalistic lines. Like the Jesus movement. Jesus said, follow me. And those who did, they themselves were changed. And they then went out and changed the world. And Jesus extends that same invitation to us. Last thing I'd encourage you to write down is this. A new life awaits everyone who follows Jesus out of the tomb. A new life awaits everyone who follows Jesus out of the tomb. And let me show you something about this new life, because here's a huge misconception. This misconception has been true of people throughout history. As as anytime someone has thought about an afterlife, so often they go here. They say, okay, 
Here is earth, which looks a lot like an egg today. This is earth. Here is their heaven. For a lot of people, this is how they see the world. They say there's earth, there's our existence, and there's a heaven or an afterlife. You do the earth thing, and then if you're good enough or you pass the test, you get the rituals right, you can do this. This is how a lot of people understand. Maybe some of you, this is how you think of it. You know, okay, if I die and all's good, then then I go here. This is not the biblical worldview. This isn't the biblical worldview. We see it even in the Old Testament. We see how, or what we call the Old Testament today. Here's earth, looking a lot more circular. And here's heaven. And you got this. You got this overlap. And you see it in what we call the Old Testament. You you see these moments where God steps in and here's this burning bush and God is there. And a person is interacting with God. And you see it on Mount Sinai. God descends and people can actually see there's what looks like fire and they hear what sounds like thunder and God is interacting with them. And then there was this temple and there was this holy of holies in this temple and God is supposedly there. Well, then in Jesus, now you have a person You have heaven invading earth in a person. And the kingdom of God, it's here. Will the kingdom of God be one day? Yes, but it's also here. Some of you may have heard of this. Theologically, they call it the now and the not yet. Now and the not yet. Are you living here? This is what I'm talking about. Are you coming out of the tomb now? And is this your experience? It can be. That can be your experience right here, right now. Did you notice, I'm not asking, like, do you go to church? I'm not asking if you were baptized. I'm not asking if you've been confirmed or if you prayed a prayer at camp. Are all those things good? Yeah, they can be. They can be great. I'm not asking you that. I'm asking you, what's your life? Is this your life? Because it can be. It can be. Are you free from guilt? Are you able to just go, my past sins are gone. Can you, can, do you have that sense of freedom? When you pray, do you sense that God is listening? God is listening. When God speaks, are you learning to discern his voice and go, that was God. God is speaking to me. He's leading me right now. And do you have a sense that you're getting closer and closer to the life that God created you to live? That a creator created for you to live? If you're living here, if you're living here, then you can turn to a guy like this. And you've got something to say. You've got something to say. If you're living here, you've got something to say to this guy over here. You could say to him, with conviction, take what you will. Take what you want. None of it's mine anyway. None of it's mine anyway. I came into this world with no earthly treasure and I'm going to go out the same way. For me to live as Christ and to die is what? It is gain. Were it not for Christ, I'd consider you my enemy. I would, I defend these earthly treasures with swords and clubs, but my life has been forever changed. And not just by the example of a suffering servant, but through the encounter with the living God, Trogdor, your own history. It contains tales of a Viking named Ragnar who claimed to be a son of your God, Odin. Well, according to some accounts, like Jesus, he was captured. And instead of a cross, this is really weird to talk to a mannequin, by the way. I'll just keep doing it, though. 
But instead of a cross, he had a pit of vipers. Did Ragnar rise three days later from the pit of vipers? Because today we sing this tribute to Jesus. We just sang this to our Jesus. Death in vain forbids him rise. Can the same be said for Leif Erikson or Eric the Red? Did either prove that they overcame death and the grave by appearing to your people? Or is yours a faith without physical validation? Because we're part of a movement. This day, people from every continent, they're gathering to worship a God of justice who did not allow evil to go unpunished. This day, people on every continent are also gathering to worship a God of grace because if our God was only justice, we've all sinned. We'd be obliterated. So he became sin who knew no sin that we might become his righteousness. That's why he died. It wasn't the might of Rome that killed him. In fact, the might of Rome was overcome by people who allowed their own blood to be spilled rather than spilling the blood of their enemies. Trogdor, you can chase after earthly riches. You might want to get some pants, by the way. You can consider others your enemies. You can take what you want from them by force. As for me, I can't ignore an empty tomb. I can't ignore it. I can't pretend that Jesus' followers and his enemies agree that something happened. Something that convinced tens, then hundreds, then thousands, then millions, then thousands of millions that a homeless Jewish carpenter was the risen son of God. I can't ignore that. Something caused those people to lay down their swords, surrender their possessions, to pray for their enemies, to care for widows and orphans, to treat women with unparalleled dignity and respect. And so, Trogdor, the silent Viking, I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And his spirit dwells in me today. I can't summon it like magic. I can't summon it like magic. But it's real. And there's times it fills me with a power that is not of this world. And over time, it is aligning my heart and my mind to a different kingdom. Now, if any of you know anything about the Vikings, would most Vikings have allowed a monologue to continue like that? No. It would have literally been cut short. Pun intended. But the reason I continued the monologue was because maybe some of you are sensing something this Easter Sunday. Maybe something inside tells you, you know what? This is possible. I don't have to chase after the things everyone else is chasing after. Maybe something inside of you is saying, I've chased after those things too long that are just here. I want this. Maybe some of you are saying, I'm tired of religion. I want this. That's the invitation to the empty tomb. It's begun. Heaven has invaded earth. It's here. And one day, all will be as it should be when Jesus comes back. But until that day, we get to experience this right here, right now. At our church, you'll see it printed on our bulletin. You'll see it on our website. We have this invitation. It's called Experience God With Us. That's the invitation we offer you. And this is what it is. I didn't... I didn't last night finally came to me that's that's our invitation we're asking we're inviting you to join us here not because we're perfectly living here but this is what we're pursuing as we wait for this day 
So we invite you to experience God with us. We, we would love to have you journey with us as we explore God's word, as we try to live the way Jesus taught us to live, as we try to treat others the way Jesus taught us to treat others. It's different. It's scary. But it's good. And so today, specifically, I want to invite you to, to join us in celebrating a sacrament that also is being celebrated all around the world. I'm not sure for 100% on Antarctica, but certainly on all the rest of the continents, it's, it's being celebrated right now, today. And that's a celebrate a tradition that some call the Eucharist, some call communion, others call the Lord's Supper. The very night of his betrayal, Jesus took bread. And when he given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after uh, he took the cup, after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. It's a, this is a sacrament that points us here. And here's the way we're going to do it today. At our church, we've moved away from ushers. And the reason we've done that is because we don't want the usher to tell you to come forward. We want you to tell you to come forward if you so desire. And so we're going to sing two songs. And during that time, at any time during those songs, if you want to come forward and receive this sacrament, we would invite you. We would welcome you to do so if you can do it with sincerity. So what we're going to do, we're going to pray a prayer together corporately, a couple prayers. And then we encourage you to personalize that. Make it your own. And the, what I'll do is first I'll serve the, the two sets of servers, and then one's going to go over on that side of the screens, one will go on that side of the screens, when the, then the choir will come up, and when they're singing at any time during those songs, we encourage you to come up and, and join us in the sacrament if you'd like. If you're just visiting us today, we encourage you to just listen, observe, and see if you sense something happening. All right, so let's pray. Let's join in our, our voices here together. Let's pray this prayer, and then we'll encourage you to make it your own. Heavenly Father, to whom all hearts and minds are open and all desires are known. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may more perfectly love you and more worthily magnify your holy name. We confess that we are sinners and cannot save ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. We are not worthy for these gifts which we are about to receive, but say the word and we will be made clean. As one last act of solidarity, let's pray a prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, bless this time. Make it holy. Let your Holy Spirit come upon us now. Speak to those who... Who, who are listening, and, and even speak to those who aren't. Father, may their ears be open. May their hearts be ready to receive something from you today. Make this time holy. Sanctify it. Make these elements for us, your body and your blood. In Jesus' name, amen.